Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this is an episode you don't want to miss. Devin Klein shares so many authentic, vulnerable stories in this episode. There's so much inspiration, so many great takeaways. If you have an entrepreneurial spirit, if you're an athlete that's just wanting to squeeze more out of life, this episode has it all. One of my all-time favorite episodes. Honestly, I I left feeling buzzed. What he's doing with Burn Boot Camp, him and his wife, their relationship, how hard they're pushing and, and making such an impact in the world of fitness. This is a a must listen. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Speaking of success, have you ever tried fast food? It's a high performance fuel made from 100% real food. No more bloated feelings or crashes. With their unique optimal energy release system, you get consistent energy. Dive into their Galacto Gel, Galacto Gummy, or the Hydrator and taste the real difference. Give them a go and let me know what you think. You can write me on any of the social platforms. I'd love your feedback. You're out there training hard and racing, and I want to know how you feel on fast food. And remember, your mission is fast food's mission, so don't miss out. Right. Today's guest is a man who knows a thing or two about stepping up to the plate in more, way, more ways than one. He's gone from hitting home runs to creating life-changing experiences, trading the baseball diamond for the hustle of the entrepreneurial business world. Alongside his wife and business partner, Morgan, he's crafted not just a brand, but a community stronghold with Burn Bootcamp. Starting from scratch, they've built an empire that pushes people to become the best versions of themselves every single day. From professional baseball to powerhouse business, he embodies what it means to pivot with purpose and passion. So without further ado, welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, a true champion in the world of fitness and franchising, Devin Klein. How are you, mate? I'm great. Great to be here, Greg. Thank you. And uh, this, that was an amazing intro. Appreciate it. We're, we're excited. Let's, let's have a, I heard this is a, a chit chat. <laughs> guys bantering back and forth. Like we're at a, like we're at a bar sharing a beer or a, a diet Coke or something. You so, got uh, it. You got it, mate. I'm in for it. Well, I first, I got to just start by saying massive congrats on all you're doing at Burn, Burn Boot Camp. Um, the impact you're having on you know, just helping people optimize their lives has just been truly outstanding. I looked at the numbers, 100,000 plus members, 335 locations, all in the space of such a short window of time. It's amazing. So congrats, mate. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And yeah, definitely it's been a short period of time since we started. We started franchising in 2015. Prior wow. to that, we were in 2012, we were running boot camps out of a parking lot after I got released from the minor leagues. And Morgan was still working for Kellogg. She was climbing the corporate ladder, slinging Pop-Tarts, as we say. And we just, uh, <laughs> there's a Saturday camp. I'll telling you, there was 150 of our uh, members out at a Saturday camp in the parking lot in the summer in the Carolina heat. And we just, we knew that day we just had a killer workout and everybody was lifting each other up. It was one of the hardest, like most brutal, gritty things you could do. You yeah, know that yeah, being yeah. a world-class athlete, like those types of times bring you together. And Morgan and I knew it right from that moment in time that we had something really special and held on to it ever since. We're going to keep holding on to it. 
Well, mate, I'm, I'm thrilled for you guys. And, and in this chat, in this chit chat that we're going to have, I really, my goal is to, to get to know you and your background a little bit, really sort of dive into the transition from sport to business and entrepreneurial life um, and, and how you've been able to sort of explore that world and leverage it and, and what that transition was like for you. Um, but before we do, mate, it's a Wednesday, 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon, I know you got three kids. I know you got a business to run. What have you been up to today already? Oh, that's a good question. So, you know, you get up early when you can, especially when mom's out of town. So mom's in California. <laughs> oh. things. She's, the, she's the CEO of our company. Uh, I'm the visionary. And so she's out doing her thing on the West Coast. That leaves me uh, to uh, harmoniously integrate work and, and uh, leadership and uh, at the office and at home. So... <laughs> I've got the three kids today, and uh, so I had to. They obviously need me to get them off to school, uh, and so I got up early and I did my thing. I did my workout first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, and I, you know, I don't do that every day because my he- my schedule is very hectic and it's very mm-hmm. hit or miss depending on where I'm at in the world. Like travel fifty percent of the time. So wow. this morning got up because I knew I had the obligation for the kids. Got after it, and you know, Greg, like we go when we get after it, we go. We have one speed. It starts, <laughs> and forty five minutes later, I'm done, and I'm physically done as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then got to the office, took them to school, got to the office. Uh, my content creator, Isaiah already had uh, a setup for me. We just, I've been making health and fitness content for like 10, 11 years mm. trying to grow burn boot camp, and could say that arguably has worked pretty well. And so what we want to do is really start to share the experiences that we have Morgan and I through our entrepreneurial lens. And we're doing that on YouTube and a podcast called the Devin Klein show. Ah, And so we just launched that in October. And so this is, that's my side hustle, but I've got like four hours, five hours a week where Isaiah and I shoot content together. And then, you know, the other 90% plus of my time is spent actually operating the company, making decisions, working with teams, coming up with strategy and doing my job, which is, uh, create culture and vision for the organization. Oh my goodness. You are a busy man. And we were just talking pre-show. I've got you for an hour. Otherwise, then you got to run out the door, go grab the kids from school. I'm sure we'll get them to afternoon activities, cook dinner and still keep going, mate. So I love it. I love the way that you, you operate. Um, I but- do have to say, Greg, I do have to say that I have a nanny and her name is Casey Cunningham. She's amazing. <laughs> okay. She like, I'm not out here trying to pretend like I can do this solo with just me and mom. It takes Being a village mate. CEO with our, our company's pretty big now. So, you know, we definitely lean on her a lot and mm. we got to give credit where credit's due. No, mate, but it does. It takes a village and either you got family yeah. nearby or you have a nanny. <laughs> One thing I've learned about this whole parenting gig, it's kind of like, you think, oh yeah, we can, we got this. It's like, holy crap. If you want to try and do as much, squeeze what you can out of life, you need family, you need a nanny, you need whatever you can to just help find that time. But look, look, let's shift gear. I want to rewind the clock um, and just get to know you a little bit better and, and where you came from, you know? So let's start by those early days on the baseball field or in sport. Tell us a bit about where you grew up and where you found your passion for sports. Yeah, so I'll I'll briefly give you like a quick history so that people uh, that are listening to this can really connect to my story because I think it's it's a pretty deep one mm. and so I'll make it brief but I'll also go deep because I think it's really important to be vulnerable when we're sharing our story. There's so many people out there that need to hear examples of other people pulling through the mud so that they can then do that themselves and and so you know it starts in, in Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, my mom and my dad separate. She takes me and my little brother. 
on this journey, this multiple year journey, it's five plus years of traveling around the United States, um, kind of she's going from job to job. We were going from house to house and uh, not, you know, not much stability um, from Mississippi to Arizona to California to Washington, wow. back to California, back to Arizona, back to Michigan. By the time I land in, in fifth grade, my mom and dad get back together. They're two extremely chaotic people when they're together. It's like amplified. And, you know, it's, t- I'm talking drug abuse, child abuse, alcoholism, you know, physical violence between them. Put it this way. I say this just to sum it up because there's a lot and it goes really deep. By the time I was 18, there was 50 plus criminal charges filed in my house. And I got to witness the majority of those and was the, uh, bared the brunt of some of the child abuse charges. And so around 12 years old is when I kind of woke up and this is around the time I met Morgan. Morgan and I have been together really since we were 12 years old. Um, I realized that, you know, I, I wasn't in a normal situation and that I needed to fend for myself. And I decided, I think, to be a man at 12 years old, far too early to make that, have to make that decision. Mm. But between baseball uh, and, and becoming recognized for that at a 10, 11, 12 year old range to, uh, you know, really having Morgan and her family and, you know, friends that uh, families who cared about me deeply, I was able to escape that chaotic home life and spend most of my time working out on the baseball field. Hmm. You know, you know hmm. how it is being hmm. a world-class athlete. Like you've got to dedicate that time to amplify your talent. And so I figured, Hey, I wasn't that talented. And now I was motivated because I wanted to escape hmm. old, old Battle Creek, Michigan and try to go make something of myself and, and break the chain that had riddled the family for years. And so I did. I got a scholarship to Central Michigan University uh, after balling out in high school, winning a state championship, breaking records, and went to Central, uh, continued that there, got picked up by the San Francisco Giants, played there for a little cup of tea, say in in the minor leagues. Uh, Not in the big leagues, though. I only had a couple years in the minor leagues, just to make that clear. And I was a pitcher. So Mm. I I threw a fastball slider, trying to strike people out. Uh, One inning, come in, be the closer, and then get the job done and get out. So that uh, ended short, shorter than I wanted it to. I wanted to be in the big leagues since I was a kid. My father was in the big leagues. Uh, excuse me, my father was a Detroit Tiger in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. and you know, ended up uh, falling short of that dream and fell back on what I was good at, which was working out. The reason it got me to the big leagues in the first or to the minor, I keep saying big leagues. That's because I was so convinced I was going. It was earth shattering. <laughs> when I got released. You're so used to having it, visualizing so it in your head. It's like in it's the, in the yeah, in the actual. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyhow, long story short, uh, we, I get released. I move in with Morgan and, you know, we move up to Charlotte like a year later and we start burn boot camp in a parking lot. And that's really, you know, we had 600 bucks. We had nobody would, no landlord would give us a lease, rightfully so. And we just were the like most gritty, scrappy guerrilla marketing people you can imagine. And after that, about 18, 12, 18 months later, there was a thousand members and our lives would change. So wow. that's a quick rundown. That is a very quick, quick rundown. And I've got so many questions now. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, there's this, um, you know, you, you, you've come from that kind of an upbringing and, and I'm sure there's listeners sort of going, yeah, I, I understand that. But during those really tough times, you know, was there a, a mantra or was there a belief that kept pushing you forward? It was it just this idea of escaping. Like you look back now and you can say oh, I was escaping, but at the time, was it just 
you didn't want to be home? Uh, What was it that just kept driving you forward? Uh, I think anybody that is experiences physical violence, the answer to that question is really obvious Mm. that you don't, that doesn't feel good and you don't like it and it hurts. And you also have, you also have an emotional kind of cascade that comes from that, especially as a young child, you, you go through things like the whole, why me question, you know, what, Mm. why is this happening, happening to me? Did I do something wrong? Am I worthy of love? And those are pretty deep questions to have to reconcile as kid. And you don't as a kid, right? You, you don't, I don't think you, I don't even know, I don't even know what the word mantra meant when I was 12. But if I were to, you know, use my memory for what I believe it's for, and at least a, one useful application of memory is you can rewind the past. I call it play the tape back. And you can look at the events in your life that were traumatic, the events in your life that were, are really embossed in your brain as significant to you. And, mm. and we all know that those events, they're quite small in mm. nature. A lot of the events that we really remember or that were emotionally taxing for us are so insignificant when you tell them to other people. I think that's why we don't like to share our story too much because we don't think that it's that big of a deal, but those moments are a huge deal. Mm. And I can remember one time uh, I was in elementary school. This is when we had moved back from that kind of five state, five year, whatever hiatus that we went on. And I was in Prairie View Elementary School in Battle Creek, Michigan. And, you know, being on welfare, you, there's two lunch lines, they're bifurcated at the cafeterias. And so you could go left and you could go through like the I'm paying cash lunch line, or you could go right and you could go through the, I don't have any cash. I have to pay you in food stamps lunch line. And obviously when you're kids, that's, you know, your parents, you're made fun of because you're poor and it's, you know, kids have no remorse and bullies will easily make fun of you for those things. So, and that's a big deal when you're in fifth grade, Mm. fourth grade. And so not being able to be in the lunch line that had the chocolate milk and only being able to be in the lunch line where I got the white milk because they weren't giving the chocolate away for free, obviously is more expensive. And I was a little, I was a lot frustrated by that at the time. And I was, me and the other kids were made fun of for it. And I can remember as this being one of those times where I'm like motivated by desperation. I'm like, mm. I hate this feeling. Mm. I don't want to ever feel this again. That I believe is when my, if I were to play the tape back and retroactively pinpoint when I became a, an entrepreneur, it was in that moment when I felt embarrassed and disrespected for not having money. And my parents tried really hard. I don't want to make it seem like they were just terrible people. They just, they were inflicted with different vices and a combination of those vices ultimately Mm. took my father's life far too early. And when my mother just is estranged from our family because there's no coming back from it. Mm. And so, you know, they did a lot for me though. That really was, uh, was helpful. And I think these are, they worked really hard. They just didn't know how to save. And the vices took all of the hard work and put it into their own personal, you know, party life rather than the family life. And so, hey, if the government's going to do it, give us good, give us money, we might as well take it. Mm. And so, yeah, I just never, I always, I never wanted to feel that embarrassment again. And almost immediately the next winter, I started a business with two of my friends uh, and we called it uh, 20 minute snow removal. And in 20 minutes, we'd shovel these little single family home driveways in my neighborhood and I'd knock on the door and cold call and they'd come through with shovels and we'd split it three ways and 
you know, I did that for quite some time. Also <laughs> sold some CDs on the side and then bought my, was able to buy my own car when I was 16. So I'll stop there because I know that's quite, no. quite, a, quite a long answer to your question. You paint such a good picture. You, you paint an amazing picture. I'm, I'm visualizing it very well. And so for you, sport was an ideal way to find yourself um, and, and who you are. I, I talk about on the show a little bit about myself in those kind of uh, teenage years and all the insecurities and everything that goes with it and how sport was the thing that really helped me get to know myself through the challenges of sport, but also just, you know, feeling like you belonged a little bit somewhere. Was that you with baseball? Yeah, I, to a large extent. Yeah. I think the answer to is yes. And coming from the situation I was coming from, I had no mentorship. Mm. So for me to know what right and wrong was, or to know what even, you know, I only could, I only could witness it through my parents' actions and they always worked hard. So I think I had naturally picked up on that, but I think it was more in my situation, an escape route. It was mm. more of like, I'd much rather be there doing something I love with people I love that I'm perfectly allowed to do for as long as I want to do it rather than be at home and have to hide in my bedroom and put my pillow over my head when my parents inev inevitably get into a fist fight in the kitchen. Mm. Mm. So it was, it was, I think more of an escape route, but then it also, I think both things, right. You, you layer it on to what you said and then the escapism of it all. And that makes baseball something that became like my oxygen, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. It became my only sense of mentorship. I think the game itself was a bigger mentorship to me than any one individual, because the game is bigger than the coaches that occupy the head coach job or the pitcher that occupies the mound. And it, it kind of transcends. And so, yeah, that's, I think that's the way I think about it. You know, do you, do you, do you vibe with that? Yeah, mate. I, I think, look, I'm not going to compare my, my journey with yours um, in terms of what I went through, but I, I would say that for me, it was finding sport was, you know, I was this tiny little kid that went to a school that was all about rugby and rowing and they were the biggest guys in the <laughs> around and I always felt like I was this tiny little kid and then you know I, I found out I could run I was like oh shit that'll be my thing and I'll just keep running and then I could swim okay and I was like okay and I'll add a bike to that and all of a sudden you get those little pats on the back you know those little things of those tiny little bits of recognition which just fuel you to go I'm gonna keep doing that as like I've said on the show I never liked swimming biking and running you know, I did it as a profession for 27 years, but it wasn't that I loved swimming, biking and running, but I loved the pats on the back and I loved the community and, and the sport as a whole. But honestly, swimming, biking and running, it's not a game. It's quite everything. It's quite painful to, you know, train 20 to 30 hours a week and uh, it's painful, but the, the rewards aren't specifically about what you're doing it's it's the outcomes and the and the process of just ticking boxes and you know feeling good about yourself but you know for you then when you you know you go through high school having success at the state level and you get that scholarship um to central michigan what was that moment like was that kind of a another bit of a okay a bit of an escape i can i can go and on a full ride do the thing that i want to do get educated yeah, you, I think you hit it spot on and I'll take a step back a couple years and I'll say that the scholarship to Central Michigan University 
was a symbol of freedom, mm. but it wasn't the first one on my mind. The first symbol of freedom was a car. <laughs> yes. if i had a car i could get out of there quick what was it what did you buy yourself at 16 i want to know yeah, yeah. so so what i did was i explained the snow shoveling business i worked i did a snow shoveling franchise essentially with my friends my yeah. first franchise knocked on cold cold called doors they shoveled we split uh the revenue three ways and then i sold cds at the girls volleyball or girls uh, volleyball and basketball games mm. to uh, you know, we'd ha- have like a playlist that we were playing for warmups and everybody was, you know, vibing to it. And then I would basically then like take that CD and burn it a bunch of times and then go sell it to people in stands for five bucks. <laughs> so, and then on top of that, my dad was an electrician. Mm. So my dad would invite me to, he did a lot of weekend jobs, right? So he'd invite me to these weekend jobs where he would call me as gopher, go for this, go for that, go for pliers, go for you know, go for tester, go for, you know, and I'd also be the gopher for my uncles who own, uh, who worked for a roofing company. And so I'd go on the roofs with them and, you know, get paid by the hour to use the pitchfork and pop nails out of the, out of the roofs. And, and so this was how I earned about $3,000. And then my father knew somebody that was a car dealer that took me to an auction. Mm. Uh, there's an auction in Lansing, Michigan. We went to the uh, auction in Lansing, Michigan, and I bought a white Pontiac Grand Am. Yeah. Yeah, you did. (laughs) Are you ready ready for a bomb? (laughs) I love it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take you from high to low real Mm. fast. So, all right, I'm 16. We have one of the best baseball teams in the nation. Uh, We call it steals out of Michigan. It's no longer a team. We won the USSSA World Series, which Mm. is one of the elite Mm. level leagues down in Kissimmee, Florida. I bought my car. We go to play the World Series in Kissimmee, Florida. We ball out. We win the championship. Nobody expects us to. We come back. My car is gone. My mom is gone and my brother is gone. Come to find out, she basically took my car. It was not in her name. Took my car and left the state of Michigan. And so for... You know, since I was 11 and 12 years old, I had worked up to really save my money to buy a car and then it gets taken from me. And I'll tell you what, this was my first outside of a moment when I was 12 years old at 16, when this happened to me, this was my first adult adversity. Mm. I felt like an adult at this point at 16. Like I mm. bought my own car. Like I, I knew how to pay for insurance. I knew how to do everything my parents did and better. It was gone. And I was like, this is adversity. Oh yeah. This is all, this is why my coaches have been preaching. Like, don't get too down on yourself when you lose and don't get too excited with yourself when you win, because there's going to be moments in real life Mm -hmm. where you do everything you should have done plus more. And somebody comes along and does something or, or takes something from you and you have no control over it. Mm. The, The quality and character of, of your life is how you react in those moments, mm. in my opinion. And so I went back to the roof. I went back to the uh, electrical work. I went back to selling cars, slanging cars on eBay, doing eBay arbitrage and uh, saved up 750 bucks this time, bought a purple Ford probe, ni- uh, ni- late eighties model, and then went to eBay and flipped it 10 times until I had a Mustang and about five grand, five, 10 grand to take with me to central Michigan, uh, to move into those years. Wow. So that, uh, car was always a symbol of freedom and, and central Michigan scholarship was a symbol of freedom. And between those two things, there's a lot of adversity in there. And I think, uh, yeah, there is years is, are really what shaped me to be successful in my, you know, mid twenties. 
You mentioned uh, your brother. Have you got other siblings, and and what are they? What have their experiences been? And yeah, de- well, thanks for asking. So uh, it's quite complicated, um, but I'll try to break it down. A half bro- older brother, mm. um, and then a full brother. So my half, my older brother's five years older. My two younger siblings. One's a full sibling. One's a half sibling. They are four years younger. And then I have another little sister who's also a half sibling. Um, none, uh, two of them share the same dad. They, two of them share the same, three of them share the same mom. So it's very complicated. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of shenanigans going on in the household, as you can tell. And, but listen, we're close as a, as a group. Um, we are. And my older brother and I, my younger sisters and I especially were really close. And so we lean on each other. My older brother took care of me when, um, he got his, himself together, uh, you know, later, you know, after kind of his teenage years and mm. took me in and I spent uh, a couple of years in college staying with them when I would come back home. Okay. And are they supportive with the success that you found now? I mean, you know, we don't need to get into the numbers, but you know, burn boot camp with the amount of franchises and, and just how big it is. And we'll go into details a bit more, but is that are your relationships, the people that are close to you, have they been supportive? Yeah. I don't mind going into numbers. We, we publicly put out our numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just opened our 386 gym. We have 545 awarded, which means they're the Delta between those two numbers are in development mm-hmm. coming soon. So by 2025 ish, we should be getting the majority of those open and we're, you know, awarding brand new territories every, every month. Everybody. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, we're growing really fast. I mean, that's even different than the stats that you put together. For- I know I, my so- stats are old and I didn't think they were too old. <laughs> oh no, yeah. We're just growing that. Fast. I apologize. <laughs> don't, don't apologize. Every time I look down, I've got to, I've got to make an adjustment on my Instagram bio. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 So they've been supportive though. It's, it's yeah, good. To- so yeah. They've been super supportive. Um, before my father passed, he was very proud of us. Super supportive. Uh, like I just still don't know my mother, t- you know, uh, very well to this day. We don't communicate with her, but we don't. Yeah. And uh, my brother, my older brother, Jason, him and his wife Aubrey, they're about to cross the 300 member mark in Portage, Michigan, with their very own burn boot camp. Oh, actually, that's brilliant! I was hoping yeah, to hear something like that. Yeah. The parent company, and I'll tell you what, my brother Jason, his wife Aubrey, they've been like a lifeline to myself and Morgan and our siblings. And, uh, you know, they had stepped into the parental role while we were growing up in our teenage years and early twenties. And, uh, you know, so I, I love it. I love doing the business with them. They're amazing. Uh, they have such a strong community. So if you ever get up to Kalamazoo or Portage, Michigan area, stop in and say hi to Jason and Aubrey. That's brilliant, mate. Well, let's move forward a little bit. So yeah, you spend your years, um, in Michigan at central Michigan, um, the eye, the, the goal still being, you know, I want to play major league baseball, right? I mean, that, that was your focus. Um, then you were scouted by the San Francisco giants. That moment was it like, okay, everything's coming together. Yeah. Listen, Greg, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll one up you on that. And I'll say, I wasn't trying. I was in it. I was already <laughs> there. I was already playing under the lights and my, I'm a very, one track minded person and yeah. an outcome oriented person. And I set my sight on being in the big leagues. It's all I thought about. It's all I wrote about. It's all I could 
uh, meditate on. It's every, it was my everything. Mm. So I set the entrepreneur bug aside and just put all of my focus and attention into that in school. Um, and I'll tell you what, you know, moving those years at central Michigan university and those years with the giants, uh, were some of the hardest years that I've ever had to face because in high school, and you know, this being, mm. you know, a world-class triathlete that you, uh, you, as you move up the ranks, the competition gets harder and harder and harder. And there's a certain point where you've got to face other people that are just as good mm-hmm. and better than you are. Mm-hmm. And you've still got to figure out a way to beat them. And, you know, that puzzle of figuring out how to be a mediocrely talented person stepping in with really talented people taught me work ethic, attitude, effort, belief system, you know, and all the things that I've really brought over into business, mm-hmm. you know, today. And so, the Giants for me taught me championship culture. I, I mean, I was there w- during 2010 and 2012 when they won the World Series. They also won in 2014. Mm-hmm. And you want to talk about transitioning, like the number one thing that, like, as I've transitioned from baseball to business, it's the San Francisco Giants' attitude toward winning and championship culture, elite culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, if you don't, perform well and your hat is even a little bit crooked you're getting benched you know it's like that Mm. level because in order to compete in order to motivate guys to win in a championship culture they've got to be obedient to the game plan everything matters game plan Mm. the strategy is what helps you win it's not the talent right Mm. it's very intentional behavior Uh, my wife and i always talk to the difference between sort of the greatest and the good is really intent and, and the way that you do everything matters, right? You know, and I'm sure you're finding that even in business. It's like, uh, there's a lot of people out there, you know, in the fitness world, for sure. It's, uh, businesses popping up everywhere, but the, the ones that can do whatever they're out to do with absolute intentional behavior, um, and not to bring it back to myself again, but I remember even in my career, I had about a winning rate of about 10%. And I remember my wife and I sitting back after the 04 Olympics going, we, we, could, we could do this better. And we started looking at everything we could do, whether that be sleep or body work or, you know, all the different types of recovery and nutrition or the way we train. And I just started reading and researching, you know, and trying to do everything with more intent. And it became known in Boulder, Colorado, you don't call the Bennett's after eight. And it was like, yeah, because we're always in better sleep because we, we know whoever gets the most sleep is going to win and all this. And it became very intentional. And from what I understand what you're saying with the San Francisco Giants and the way they had that winning culture is they did it with just such intensity and, and intent. Um, I love that. But you, 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 you stayed in the minor leagues. Were you waiting for your call up for the major leagues? Like how close was it for you? It, I, I, it wasn't that close. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> you could have said anything, mate. <laughs> you could have, oh, mate, I was one, one step away. Yeah, go on. Yeah, no, it wasn't that close. And to be honest with you, I think the reason I didn't make the big leagues was not because I didn't work hard. It's not because I wasn't talented. It's because I was still in this selfish mode. Hmm. I was still in, I got to do me, 
I've got to outcompete everyone around me. I was still in this mode that my family taught me to be in, which was to be the best, tallest building in town. You must tear down other buildings. Mm. And I found out quickly that you need to be the best architect in town and build the tallest buildings and leave the other buildings alone because I was, uh, I was not a great teammate. I was a much better teammate in college because I think the environment really fostered a championship culture. You want to win the conference with your boys and get a ring. Mm. Uh, when you get to the next level and you start to get paid for baseball, I mean, that's a ridiculous notion to get paid <laughs> to throw a piece of leather across green grass, right? So <laughs> you've got this opportunity to make millions of dollars doing uh, something you love to do. Yeah. And it just got really cutthroat for me. Yeah. I took a step backward in my leadership. I took a step backward as a cascading effect I took a step backward in my workouts and my attention to detail, my intention on how I was approach, approaching mm. days, how well I would recover, you know, um, how, I mean, started kicking up partying as we were going to different cities and, you know, trying to be one of the boys and one of the bros rather than putting my leadership hat on and being aligned to the culture that the San Francisco Giants needed at the time mm. in order to reflect their organization. And so now I see my, sometimes I see my, 21, 22, 23 year old self inside of some of my people inside of a 6,000 person organization, you're going to find some people that are in that stage of their life. And I use that as a story to motivate them to say, Hey, listen, this selfish attitude, this, 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 you know, outcome where you win and everybody else loses is never going to get you anywhere in life. Mm. And here's, how it ruined my dreams. Because I bet you, if I was the leader that I am now today, if I was the person who was the best teammate in the room at all times, like my VP of uh, HQ gyms, Bryce Morrow, who also went to Central Michigan with me, also played for the San, uh, for the uh, San Diego Padres in the in the uh, mm-hmm. AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was he when you ask him the question, how close were you? he was like waiting for the call. Like mm. he could have gotten called up very, very easily. And just, you know, it was him or the next guy. And it ha- happened to be the next guy. Uh, but talk about an example of amazing leader, an amazing teammate, somebody that is obedient to the playbook, somebody that is obedient to the culture, right. And doesn't think that they are bigger or better, or they're more important than the mission of the team and the culture of the organization. And so <laughs> I knew that going in, uh, Bryce played quite a bit longer than I did in the minor leagues. He played, I think almost nine years. So he's 29. So by then, I mean, Burn had, I don't know. I don't remember exactly. I th- at 30 locations, we were worth a hundred million yeah. and had a hundred, you know, 200 locations or something like that. And I was begging him to come. And I'm like, dude, as soon, I, I want you to keep mowing people down. Trust me. And yeah, I want you to yeah, go to the big leagues. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't care if that ends tomorrow or in 10 years, when you're done, you got to come work at Please come. Yeah. On a, we need to build a championship culture here and you're the guy to help do that. So, Mate, well said. That, uh, that whole ability, that understanding of yourself now and the ability to look back is really amazing. Um, it couldn't have been easy though, you know, when they, they let you go. Um, what was that sort of, you know, your whole life had been about baseball. It had been your escape. It had been your somewhat your identity. It had been the the thing that you'd been doing for so so long. When you were let go, what was that like? How long did it take you to transition and adapt and sort of find yourself after that experience? When you have 
plan A and there is no plan B or mm-hmm, C. Mm-hmm, yep. You just expect plan A to happen. Yeah. And I was honestly blindsided when I got released because I wasn't self-aware enough at the time to realize that it was my it was me as a teammate. It was me as my, my decisions that I was making off the field were the thing was the reason they let me go. Wow. Okay. Because I had made I had made the all-star team the year before in Augusta, Georgia, uh, at the in the low A league. This is where a lot of the college draft guys go. Very good competition. And I was a long reliever and closer, even had a start and made the all-star team. And then I got hurt a couple games after the all-star game was announced and had to sit the rest of the season out and couldn't participate in the all-star game. I hurt my uh, right forearm for the first time. Mm. And, uh, you know, I went to rehab hard, went to a rehab assignment, played in uh, Salem, Kaiser, Oregon, went back to Sanford, went back to Scottsdale, to play in the rookie ball league and a rehab assignment. And then, uh, then the season was over and I, and then I went all off season. I was on the, I was on the roster. I didn't get cut at the end of the season. I went back to spring training. I was fully expecting either to go back to high a or go back to double a. Uh, and I got called into the office and, you know, I didn't have a good outing in spring training that had something to do with it. I got hit off the fence a few times uh, with a couple of, uh, new draft picks in a row. So, you know, and, when you do live BP, you defer batting practice. You definitely don't want to get hit off the fence in spring training. <laughs> so, that was, so that was happening, which didn't, yeah. but they saw my stats from last year. And yeah. so then I got pulled in the office. I got released. It was a surprise to me at the time. Ouch. Um, I went back to my hotel room. They give, you know, they did it very respectfully. I respect the giants. It's an amazing organization. Mm-hmm. I appreciate them for everything they did for me. Hope to own the team one day. That's one of my long-term goals. Oh, love it. And uh, you know, I went back to my hotel room and cried like a baby for like an hour and, mm-hmm. you know, threw my giants hat and cursed the giants name for a half an hour and beat up my pillow and called Morgan. And Morgan said, dude, just look how far you've come. Like, mm-hmm. keep moving. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go play? I love that. Go, keep moving, mate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, keep moving. Like yeah. she told me that I'll never, those are words that end at the end of my, all my emails today. Yeah. You know, she's, she's a leader in my life always has been. I can always come to her when she hits the fan with me. And so, uh, yeah, so here's where a philosophy was really born for me. When I got released from the giants, one of my staple philosophies was born for me. And this is what made the decision for me to actually hang my cleats up and not continue to pursue, uh, uh, the big league career and to get a new plan a, Mm -hmm. and it was Mm -hmm. the following. I want the opportunity to be world-class at whatever it is that I dedicate my life to. Mm. And so I asked myself that question and that was just an epiphany. I don't know where that came from, um, but I remember sitting on the plane on the way back from Scottsdale to Naples, Florida to meet Morgan in Naples, to live with her in the office, to live with her. I remember, and I still have it written in a notebook somewhere off to find it, but I remember this epiphany and said, be world-class at something, mm-hmm. right? Whatever it is. Can you be world-class at baseball? Meaning could, could I win at some point in my career? Could I win the Cy Young award? Greg, I mean, no, it was the answer. I Mm. wasn't six foot four. I didn't have huge hands. I didn't throw 97. I walked too many people and I was 23 years old in single A. Like this probably wasn't going to happen. So the next question, obviously, well, what could you be world-class at? And it wasn't long before it was like, well, what got you to baseball as on mediocre talent? You just worked your ass off. You worked your butt off. You were the hardest worker in the room, in every room you were in. And any year 
that you played on a competitive baseball team. So I knew my way around the gym. I knew my way around the weight room. And then additionally, I knew a way, my way around nutrition. I had to gain 25 pounds to get that scholarship to Central Michigan. And finally, when I was traveling, playing ball at Central and with the Giants, I was staying with host families. And I got a chance to rub off on these host fam- families a little bit. And just I was naturally a leader. And so I just helped them with health and fitness and nutrition. And they were cooking food for me. And I would educate them and build programs and work out with them. So I had all of this evidence to say, hey, I can be world-class in this thing called fitness and I can already help. I already know how to help people because I've already been doing it. Mm, mm. And next thing you know, I'm signing up to get my universally accredited CPT, certified personal training certificate uh, and finishing simultaneously uh, at the University of Phoenix because I left Central Michigan University early. Uh, my my degree in personal financial planning, so I I am a phoenix officially. <laughs> I um uh, I love your ability to recognize your strengths, your talents, and your experiences, and be able to direct that into your future. I one of my big things is you know people say follow your passion. It's like well that's that's nice, but if you can't align that with your strengths and talent then your passion is going to be empty, right? I mean, it's one thing to have a passion, but you've got to align it with some indication that you're going to be able to manifest that passion into something. Um, and then you pull the trigger and go all in, right? It's like, okay, align your strengths, align your passion, and then pull that trigger and go all in. And so when was that light bulb moment for you that led to the idea of Burn Boot Camp? So the light, the light bulb moment for Burn Boot Camp was came after so i got my certification i started training at lifestyle family fitness uh on uh, in naples florida Mm -hmm. and i didn't have any clients so i would just go into the gym do my workout and i would just prospect the room i'd walk around i'm pretty personable i'd I'd figure (laughs) hey if i can get a few people then what i can do is i can put on a show with them right? I can make it look really fun because there's a lot of people in this gym all the time so i can make it look really fun to work with a personal trainer and then I, my schedule got full and then I started, do, you know, I had no more time in the day. So I was doing, you know, 17, 18 one-on-one sessions every single day. Wow. And so then I started grouping people together. I wouldn't change their price. I would just ask them first, Hey, would you want to work out with Susie or Jessica at the half an hour before this? Because I think we could all get better results together. Mm. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so I started upping my price per hour by grouping people together, getting them better results, creating community with them, helping Mm. them uh, connect to the people around them. And then that started filling up my time. And then eventually I had to put a a big group workout at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. that anchored and ended my days. Uh, I called it Lightning 900. I went to the local store, bought for Hancock's and bought some like arts and crafts and made a bunch of signage and made an irresistible offer. <laughs> People started signing up for my 5 a.m. boot camp and my 5 p.m. boot camp. I called it Lightning 900, Burn 900 Calories, Lightning Fast, mm-hmm. which was corny. But, um, and we probably did like 500 calories. <laughs> but but that was the beginning of Burn. And then yeah, Morgan yeah. got a job promotion with Kellogg's. Mm. And so listen- I'm setting everything down that I've built in a short amount of time. That's, I mean, Morgan's not only the love of my life, but mind you, she was my financial backing growing up. Like she, like 
when I stopped making money, I stopped doing those businesses, eBay arbitrage, I stopped flipping cars. Morgan paid for my cell phone bill after that because I was working, uh, I was uh, going to school full time and and my job was baseball mm. and she supported me in that regard. So wow. she was able to get a promotion in Kellogg's as one of the youngest people in her company to get promoted to a senior analyst role. I'm like, bet that sugar mama, we're going to Charlotte. You know what I mean? And so I followed her there, no questions asked. Home is wherever it w- was, yeah. wherever she was at. And so, yeah. And then Burn Bootcamp uh, started in a parking lot a few months later after 90 days of guerrilla marketing and getting the word out. We started in a parking lot. I bought six, I cleared Dick's Sporting Goods out of, of, uh, of dumbbells. I bought $600 worth of dumbbells and mats, rented a sublet, a gymnastics facility slash parking lot. And our first Burn Bootcamp gym was born in Huntersville, North Carolina in 2012. Mate, that's so fantastic. I I love everything you've just said there. I love the relationship you have with Morgan. Um, You know, I think I'm a romantic at heart and, and, and I love this, uh, the fact that you guys have been, you know, such good mates since you were 12 years old and everything you've gone through together is just so amazing. So when you look at Burn Bootcamp now, what do you think in your own words, I guess, what does it, what sets it apart from all the other gyms and different franchises out there? What makes it such a success? At the membership level, what makes Burn Bootcamp a success, hands down, is how intentional and tight our community is. Mm. I mean, our, our members, our family, our locations are family. And I think it has a lot to do with you know, in any organization that from the top down, right. And Morgan and I and our family and our uh, VPs and people that have dedicated their heart and their soul to this company, we're the owners of the company. We're, you know, Mm. we're all of our competitors are owned by private equity firms and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just not the path that we wanted to take. We scaled quicker than we thought we would. And we knew that keeping equity would be really important if we wanted to scale our community. Mm -hmm. And so everything we do um, is to foster human connection is to bring people closer together and give people a sense of belonging. And there's something spiritual about belonging to something that's bigger than you that I think a lot of people are missing in their lives. They can get spirituality from religion for sure. They can get spirituality from being connected, uh, you know, to let's say their school, that's something that's bigger than them, but to be recognized as, you know, Devin Klein, when I walk into a gym and I, being a part of the community, people see me for me. And then we work our tails off in the gym. I'm talking championship <laughs> culture level <laughs> workouts. This is not this is not a soft workout. I will tell you that right now. If you step into a burn, you're going to get treated as an individual human, as somebody that is maybe working out for the first time. Your challenge will be relative to your ability in the moment. That's why our personal trainers are who they are because they're individually focused, but you're going to get a sense of challenge that you haven't gotten before. Mm. And you're going to get a sense of encouragement to overcome that challenge that you haven't gotten before. And that's what makes the community. It's the encouragement plus the challenge and us wanting to come together every day and rather than break each other down, build each other up. So people really want that. And uh, for that reason, our retention is extremely high, upwards of 10 times what the average is in the, uh, both the box gym and the boutique gym industries. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the, that, so that's it at the, at the member level. That's what makes us different. Okay. And then of course we have the natural differentiators that, you know, people want to know we have child watch because we're for families by families. So we need a place that we can bring our children when we're going to work out. So there's that camps, um, uh, are, you know, uh, you have a universal, you can have a universal membership to all of our gyms. So pe- for people that travel, we have an on-demand platform on our brand new app that mm. can work out with us anywhere in the world. We have burn nutrition. That is a full fledged 360 nutrition service company. That's going to, uh, it's evolving right now into that. It's almost there and, and our full on activewear business. And so we've got this lifestyle program. We got this program with a lifestyle around it. And on the surface level, those are the things that make us different. But once you get in, you come for kind of the buzz and the, the personal desire to maybe lose some weight, get fit and get toned. But that's never why people really come. They're really coming because they want to fill some void in their life. And subconsciously, they can see that void being filled, whether it be a challenge, encouragement, a sense of fresh perspective, a sense of deep belonging. They get that through our marketing and through our messaging. And uh, that's it at the member level. And then you take it to the franchise partner level. You know, our franchise partners, there's 600 of us. I just put all of their, because uh, my, my new assistant and I, we put all of our franchise partners' updated cell phone into my phone because I'm going to, I tech, I do communicate with them, but it's been very unorganized. So I wanted to organize it and I'm communicating with five to 10 people every day. There's 600 of us now. And I was like, wow, there's 600 of us that own this company. That's wow. amazing. That's cool. And my job is to take those 600 people and those are the those are the those are the individuals that need to hear the days with the giant stories right those are the individuals that are on the team that those are the people those are the nine guys we put on the field on the diamond to win the championship metaphorically speaking and it takes all 600 of us we can have we we can't be um we can't have anyone underwater that's, that's not what championship teams do. So even the player on our team that's at the bottom statistically of uh, you know, the, the, the results from the organization like there is on every team, mm-hmm. you know, that person is just as important as the person that is you know, our biggest gym as a franchisee in Naples, Florida. So in everybody in between, we all together have to have the same standard. We have to lock arms. We have to continue to build trust with one another because trust in an organization on the field is so important to know that when I'm pitching, the guys behind me, they have my back and I'm and they know I'm never going to reprimand them for making an error if they do. Mm. But we're going to we're going to high five each other. We're going to pick it up and we're a team and the only way that we win, the only way that we beat these big companies with super deep billion dollar pockets, these private equity firms and take the top spot in fitness is if we do it our way and if we do it together. Mm. And so there's this real sense of winning uh, and championship culture on the franchise side that you get that at the member level, but we've now got our personal families that we eat dinner with every night on the other side of that franchise agreement. You're financially uh, putting a lot of your eggs, not all of them, some in some cases, not all of them, in some cases, all your eggs in this basket. And we will not only uphold our fiduciary responsibility to see through that investment secure, but we will do, we will exceed what they expect us to exceed in. Good man. When when you talk, let's lean on that franchise bit a little bit. I did some homework before this and 
you, you've spread it across, is it 41 or more states now across the- Yeah, we're just getting ready to award our 42nd uh, second state here. So, <laughs> so all 50, 42 coming soon. Where, where have you found it is, is it most at the moment and where are the sort of the opportunities for, you know, potentially there's people listening here. This is a, a, lot, a lot of people, entrepreneurs listen to this show. Where, where are some of the markets that are, are quite open right now? Yes. So we've got top 13 markets. Let me see. Morgan would be so proud of me if I can remember these off the top of my head. <laughs> these are her top, these are her top 13 markets. Let me see. Okay. Zay, we're going to have to I, check me on this. Okay. All right. So let's see. I got Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, hmm. Orange County, uh, the Bay, hmm. uh, let's see, New York, New uh, city and uh, boroughs. We've got, did I say Houston? Dallas, yep. Fort Worth, uh, Miami. Mm. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, okay. I'm not going to pass this test. That's all right. Those are the main ones. There's a lot of, Those there's California, the Florida, Texas, New York, um, yeah, Florida, Florida. Yeah. We got Florida and Miami, most all of California, a lot. In yeah. Texas. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities still around. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's, and there's resales where, yeah. you know, no matter where you live, um, you know, there's always going to be franchise partners, franchisees that have exit plans that, you know, they want to sell their businesses, make a profit and move forward, or maybe they want to redistribute their time elsewhere. And so there's always opportunity, no matter, no matter where you're at. So mate, you you know, this entrepreneurial path is, is building this, this business, you know, there's obviously been some doubt along the way and, and probably some high highs and some lows. I mean, you, you've had to go through COVID, which we, you know, we, we probably don't need to spend too much time on that because I think every business sort of had their, their moments. But, you know, if, if I was to ask you for one piece of advice to give to somebody on their entrepreneurial journey, what do, what do you think? What would you give? Oh, that's a good question. Okay. This is why I like being on the spot. Okay. Here's the answer. I have a concept called execution over epiphany. And what this means is that I don't care if you're passionate about restaurants. I don't care if people tell you this market is saturated to open a restaurant. If you can just out execute everyone, mm. if you can be more consistent, more dedicated, more compassionate, uh, more strategic, if you can take, if you can tolerate more risk, if you can navigate the financial markets better than other people, if you can just execute, if you can create an environment where people really want to work, where they feel like they belong, where they feel like they're connected, you don't need to have one of those billion dollar ideas, you know, that come once in a great moon. And we, tend to think as entrepreneurs that we've got to create something net new that no one's heard about before or put such a differentiational spin on something that already exists that we time ourselves out. We just, that strategy doesn't work. If you're not a genius, Mm. if you're not an Elon, you're not going to build a Tesla. Get out of here. Stop it right now. Mm. What you need to be focused on, like you said, is your passion where it aligns to your strengths and where it aligns to your core values. And you need to go execute better than people in your space. Think about it from my perspective. Like if I thought that I had to had some had to have some net new idea, like I was like the seven hundredth boot camp to come along. Mm. You know, it wasn't like it, I wasn't even the first ten. You know, this concept is created in the early nineties, twenty years before anybody really even thought about it. And here you go. 
somebody comes in, sees a gap in leadership, sees a gap in culture. I take my experience from playing baseball with the Chippewas and the Giants. And I'm like, you know, no disrespect to this industry, but like, y'all need a leader. Mm-hmm. There ain't, I look around this industry and I still don't see people leading the way that a championship culture leads. Even the biggest, brightest companies that are returning for their investors and helping people out. I still think good is not good enough. And so if you're not going to raise your hand, if you're not going to build a championship culture, then I'm going to do that. And we don't need to have some net new idea. We just need to be better executors. We need to want it more. We need to be more ambitious. Hunger to me is the most underrated skill. I want it so bad, Greg. Like, it's not even funny. I am so jacked right now. You have no idea. I've got like <laughs> out executed, but I don't have it. jokes. You know what I mean? No, I think that is so well said. And, and I don't mean to make light of what you're saying when I say I feel jacked because no, it's, no, it wasn't it, you. I'm just saying like, it, we'll have a good time. And like, well, you know, our culture's fun, but at the end of the day, we're going to, we're, we're winning. Yeah. I love, I love how you, you, you mentioned, you know, these boot camps have been around forever and, um, out execute. That's really cool. I love that. Execution over epiphany. Really well said, mate. Um, I want to finish up with just some final questions. Um, the first one is very reflective, but what would you tell your 18-year-old self? Listen to Morgan. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah. I, I, Morgan. Honestly, yeah, I mean, yeah. she was always wise behind beyond her years. Yeah, yeah. Her, her, she had to mature at a very young age. Her, her father passed away in a tragic car accident at five years old. And that, that was her oh, story. And, okay. You know, and she, uh, she, she leads her own life mm. and she took responsibility for me. And so like all the mistakes that I made, she literally was like, Hey, don't do that. That's stupid. You should do that. <laughs> like, or, or something that she got like mad at me about doing. If I would have just listened to her, like, you know, I probably, you know, then again, I probably w- wouldn't have, uh, those, you know, stumble over yourself stories that help us grow. Yeah, exactly. You need to, everything that makes you up, you know, it's like all of that history is who you are. And, um, but I love that. I think that's one of the best answers. It's a, it's a question I ask every guest and I think that's probably the best answer I've heard. <laughs> and I just love it. All right. Next one, three people you'd want to have dinner with non-family and they can be living or dead. Marcus Aurelius, Ben Franklin, Elon Musk. Wow. Okay. My three favorite people to study. I work, I work on myself for about an hour to two hours every day, yeah. reading, writing, listening. Yeah. And I've been really into those three stories the most. Okay. So, so yeah. Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics, Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Early, early settlers yeah. of, of, of the new Americas. Yes. And yeah. And Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Chris, yeah. Such a fascinating entrepreneur. hundred percent. Just so fascinating. Yeah, He's incredible to watch. Just I mean, to be able to be in his energy. I think I'd learn a lot. So, well, I'll come, yeah, that's, that's, I'll be serving dinner at that one, mate. I'll be your waiter. Dinner. I'll be eavesdropping, serving dinner. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a really epic three, mate. All right. Well, where do you see yourself in five years, both burn boot camp and your own personal journey five years time? Well, I would hope to be in five years time. I would hope to be, uh, 20 times better in all regards than we are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a, I think that's a good estimation for five years. I've learned in my world, as fast as we're moving 
five years is really hard to pinpoint where mm-hmm. you're going to be or, or have, or even attempt to pinpoint because oftentimes pinpointing something so finite, so far away mm-hmm. kind of can, kind of can almost box you in yeah. baby in the corner, right? Yeah. Like not let you get a year in and be like, wow, I was really setting my five-year goals super low. And so I, I just want to say 20 times better than we are now. And when we get five years from then, I'll probably say 20 times better than we are then. And why do I say 20 times? Well, because I hear cool people like Grant Cardone saying 10 times, 10 10 X. I want to be 20 X. I want to be 20 X. So yeah. And you know, hopefully our goal at burn bootcamp is we want to build 10,000 locations and we literally want to be on some research on the moon for fitness when they finally Elon gets a space center up there. That's literally our goal. Uh, that's our big, hairy, ambitious, audacious goal. And who knows, you know, I don't want to box ourselves out. Who knows if that'll happen or not, but you know, to me, it's a directional conversation and we're going to do everything in our human ability in alignment to our core values and strengths to do that. I love it, mate. And, and did you watch Arnold, the Netflix I have seen pump, uh, what's it? Pumping iron. The, no, no, uh, don't. There's one on Netflix called Arnold. It's a three part series. One. I saw a new one where he's kind of going. Yeah. He, I, I have not seen that one. Although I, I know it's out there. I definitely need to. I, I'm a uh, big Arnold. Uh, the reason it's just like the way he, um, manifests his visions and the way he pivots and, and adapts and, you know, obviously lives these three or four lives that he had in, in one. Um, and I see, you know, for you, there's a lot there in terms of what you're doing. And, you know, the manifesting the visions is what I loved about that. It's like, you got to put this stuff out in the world. You got to talk about it. You got to, you know, be vulnerable and authentic and, and put your visions out there to the world. And you never know who's listening, you know, and you never know what's going to come about. I'm a big believer of that. So thanks for sharing that. Um, because, you know, 10,000 of these burn boot camps around the world, I think is going to be outstanding. I believe with your, your, drive and having Morgan by your side. I think anything's possible. Um, finishing up here, and this is not meant to sound more, but just more getting an understanding of how you love to live your life. If you had six months to live, how would you want to live them? Oh, every moment with my family, mm. taking all the money that I currently have and giving probably half of it away and then mm-hmm. spending the other half on building the memory bank. Mm. I think that's the most important bank we have mm. is to build those experiences and do so with intention. And you know what? I'm not waiting to have six months to do that either. No, <laughs> you know, I'm doing that now. Doing but, it now. If I, but, if I, but if I did have six months <laughs> left, I would literally stop doing everything. Yeah. And I would spend every waking moment with them. Yeah, and, know. you know, I love my team. I love our business. I love our members. But at the end of the day, the purpose driving me to wake up and go 15 hours every day is the fact that I want my kids to be proud of me. You know, when I'm 80 and I want them to tell tales and the stories of how we didn't just break the chain, but we evaporated the chain. Nobody in my family has ever been successful. You know, nobody in my family even graduated from college. Mm. You know, we've had this chronic disease generationally in the Klein family. And I want them to, I'll ne- I'll probably never tell them this directly because I want them to come to their own conclusion. 
but maybe they'll go back and listen to this podcast in 20 years, who knows? But I, I want them to come to their own conclusion that I was the one to put a stop to all the nonsense and to teach the men in our family how to be a man and to teach the men in our family how to respect women and to teach our, the women in our family how to be women alongside Morgan and what to expect from men. Well, mate, I think that's a really great place to wrap this up. And what an incredible episode. I, um, it's been a real pleasure, mate. It really has been. Uh, truly inspiring. Congrats again to you and Morgan and, and the family um, for everything you, you've done, the way you've adapted, transitioned, pivoted, and, and kept your passion alive. Truly inspiring, mate. It was a really great hour. I, I appreciate you for coming on. Yeah, Greg, thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, I'm going to go back now and listen to this episode again to make sure we did a good one, play the tape back, and also <laughs> dive into dive into more episodes because uh, you were a pleasure to talk to, and it's always nice getting to sit down with somebody else that has world-class aspirations at top of mind in everything that they do. Yeah, I appreciate you, buddy. And for everybody listening, you can find all of the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. All right, Devin, stay on the line, mate. Cheers.